Hey, this is WVLP 103.1 FM, Valparaiso Community Radio. You are listening to Everyday Warriors, the show about today's everyday heroes. We don't talk about athletes. We don't talk about music stars. We don't talk about politics or politicians. But what we do do is we highlight our real everyday heroes, such as our emergency first responders, law enforcement officers, firefighters, EMS workers, special educators, Special Olympics athletes and volunteers, those are the people that are real heroes of our society. And I am Danny McGuire, your host, Department Chair for Criminal Justice and Public Safety Programs at Calumet College of St. Joseph in Whiting, Indiana, ADL Wellness Solutions Chief Operating Officer and Therapy Intern at the Center for New Pathways in Schaumburg and Jacqueline Augustine and Associates in New Lenox. Today, our guest is a very special one. She is Monica Lopez, and Monica is a full-time instructor at Calumet College of St. Joseph in the criminal justice and public safety programs. She is also the executive director and founder of I'm Not Just a Name Child Resource Center. This is a center that uh, helps with missing and exploited children, um, and she has offices in many different locations, but I'll let her talk about that. Monica, thanks for coming on the show. Hello, Danny. Thank you for having me. Monica, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Monica, now, I want you to know, I say this about all my guests, right? Uh, Monica is very humble. Um, so I, I want her to brag about herself a little bit. And I want her to tell us, you know, her background, professional, her education background, and tell us about the center. So, Monica, why don't you do that for our listeners? Okay. Don't be shy. Don't be shy. <laughs> I'm going to try here. Okay, so... My name is Monica Lopez, and I, cur I currently work for Calumet College of St. Joseph as a full-time instructor, as Danny said, for the criminal justice and public safety program. I am also the executive director and founder of a children's center for missing and exploited children. I'm not just the name, Children's Resource Center. And the reason for the name of the center is because we have to think about these missing children and these children who are being exploited as somebody's child, not just the name. I started the center in 2015 after 13 years of traveling the country for training on the topic of any type of exploitation, including pornography, trafficking, um, exploitation by family members or strangers, and I have been doing this for six years now, going on seven years. We started a center in Illinois on July 15, 2015. And I retired from the Chicago Police Department a few months later. I was a Chicago police officer for 22 years. And during this time, we had someone come in to speak about trafficking at a community meeting, and that's how this all started. Excellent. Excellent. Um, so, Monica, where, where are your locations right now prominently? So, our locations are currently in Illinois and Indiana. 
We are working on Florida and our new venture is going to be Indiana. We would like to open a center in Indiana and we have already started to do a lot of the research needed to start the center and gathered resources for it. Wow, that's very neat. Sounds like a big task. Um, I had a question. What what exactly, and I apologize if I offend anybody or because I'm just ignorant to it. Um, what exactly constitutes a, a missing exploited ch child? Can you explain that to me? Yes. So, and our listeners. Yes. So there are different categories of missing children. We have non-family abductions, which are the ones that we are most afraid of because it's a stranger abduction. And we currently now have 2,000 long-term missing that were non-family abductions in the United States. Then we also have family abductions, which usually happens when there's a custody battle between two individuals and it's the child who ends up being hurt by this. And they are known to take children either to another state or out of the country. And some of these children taken by family members have not been seen in years. We also have the lost and otherwise missing children. And this could be a child who is left on a school bus or a child who wanders off into the woods during a camping trip and is never found. Our biggest categories, however, are our runaways and our throwaways. And I'm going to start with runaways. We have an extreme amount of runaways, not only in Illinois and Indiana, but all over the country. And according to the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, these runaways and throwaways, one in six are likely to fall victims of sex trafficking. Our throwaways, which is our final category, involves children who are either kicked out of the house, whose parents, uh, don't even report them to the police or look for them. These children are on the street with nowhere to go and nothing to eat, and they as well fall prey to sex predators. Okay. And what are there any other categories besides? No, these are these are the categories that that um, that are the most affected and those are those are the categories when it comes to exploitation we have um, different people who exploit the children but when we talk about missing children one child is too many so these families are sitting here waiting for some kind of news about their children and if you think about a real situation if anybody has been shopping at the store and they turn around and all of a sudden they don't see their child right behind them because the child's either playing under the clothes racks or just, you know, wandering around the store. And just imagine the fear that one feels when that happens. So you can't even imagine what these people with their children missing for a long time are feeling and how they're dealing with it. Yeah, I, I couldn't even imagine, you know, um, I, <laughs> I think of my own situation here with, you know, my son, Danny with special needs, you know, autism, uh, you know, being low functioning, it, you know, sometimes in the past he has walked out of the house. I mean, he may just go in the garage to get a lemonade out of the fridge or something, but it's still full panic <clears throat> when you're right. expecting him to be in the bedroom or the living room. And you're like, where's Danny? 
then the doors open and then the full panic, you know, I mean, he's an adult now, but as a child, it was crazy. As an adult, it's just as, it's just as uh, shocking and scary when, you know, uh, he goes missing because he does not have the capacity to be able to communicate. If someone found him and said, Hey, where do you live? Right. Right. You know? And, and many people don't know how to approach um, you know, a child who is autistic and they tend to go towards big machinery or pot, you know, water, any type of water. And we just had an incident last year in Hammond, Indiana, where an autistic child did wander from a hotel. He was from Kansas City. He wandered off. And unfortunately, he was found deceased in, you know, a body of water, which is not rare when these children, these type of children wander. So we do try to educate uh, everybody about, you know, how to approach an autistic child or where to go to look for them immediately, because that's what they seem attracted to. That it's, it's just a proven fact. They're attracted to large machinery and to bodies of water. So you said something and I, I heard, you said something, I heard something um, maybe the same or different. You talked about training. So who, who do you train? So we train law enforcement agencies. Um, a, a couple of years ago, we did do a law enforcement training at the Chicago Police Academy. And we had officers and supervisors from different areas come to the training. It was a two-day training and it was very successful. And what we talk about is the dy dynamics of searching for a missing child. Unfortunately, not all police agencies are trained in how to identify or investigate when it comes to missing children. And that is a big problem. So not all, all police agents, are, are there state requirements or, or local requirements that you know of? And, you know, uh, if you don't, it's okay. But are there like states that require their law enforcement be trained? Are there laws for that in certain areas and, and not in others? Yes, there are states that are mandated. Uh, there's actually 39 states that are mandated in training, law enforcement training for trafficking. Illinois and Indiana are mandated. Oh, that's good. Yes, but the problem is that not all law enforcement agencies in Indiana or Illinois are trained to identify or to investigate these cases and to bring the traffickers to justice, which is very unfortunate because that results in those areas not having the proper resources that these victims need when they're trying to transition into some type of normalcy after they've been trafficked. And these resources include shelter, they include legal aid, medical aid, dental aid, because they're malnourished and they need those resources to get back on track, or if it's even possible to fully get back on track, but they do need some kind of normalcy. So there are state mandates, but not all, even though there's state mandates, not all law enforcement agencies are trained. Yes, based on the research that I've done, and I've talked to officers from different agencies, not just uh, a city as big as Chicago, you would think that they're thoroughly trained on trafficking because trafficking happens everywhere. You know, 
people started really talking about trafficking when the movie Taken came out years ago, I believe it was 2008. And that's how people think trafficking really happens. But what people don't know is that trafficking can take place out of a house next door. It can take place and it can be, traffickers can be anyone from family to gang members to strangers. It happens everywhere. And that is why it is very much needed. The, tr the training that law enforcement should have is very much needed in these, ex especially these big cities. So uh, my, one of the guests that I interviewed a few weeks back, Officer Jeff said they needed more training, right? And I'm paraphrasing, of course, I don't remember the exact comment he made. But as we talked about it, you know, having been a veteran Chicago police officer myself, it's a monumental task to train, you know, 10 or 12,000 police officers, you know, yes. in, in a given topic, you have medical leave, you have uh, people who are injured, you have people that are on vacation. Um, and then you have people that just avoid certain topics that they want to be trained right. on, you know, I mean, it's, it's the reality of it. So um, kudos to the Chicago police department for trying to do that monumental task because it's huge and the train, you know, hats off to the trainers, you know, that, that actually do this every day. So that's one thing I wanted to, wanted to say, uh, it, but it is difficult to imagine Monica, that something is important as missing exploit our children, our future. Yes. You know, that's, that's a fact. And having children myself, um, you know, I couldn't imagine right what it would be like for a child missing i mean you see on tv when a child's kidnapped or missing and you see the parents pleading with their you know possible person that took the ch children right pleading with them <clears throat> and and the agony that they must feel I, I i can only empathize you know with that and say oh my goodness I, I couldn't imagine what they're going through so it's hard to believe that a state would mandate something like that and then uh, is do you and you, this is your, just your opinion, you know, might not be a fact. So yes. I don't want to get torn apart for saying something that might be misinformation. Um, but do you think it's a monetary thing? Maybe that the States, uh, you know, they mandate the training, obviously it costs money to train people or get officers trained to, to do the trainer for our listeners that might not know this. There, there are many different types of training, right? And a lot of training have the moniker, the name of train the trainer. So that means if I'm doing a training on let's say widgets and I'm going to train, I'm going to train 10 people, including Monica, how to become not only proficient in widgets, but train other people to be proficient in widgets. That would be a course called train the trainer widgets, train the trainer, right? So it costs money to do things like that. I imagine. So, uh, well, I know, right. So, right. Yes. It, do you think that it's a, the state will make this mandate. We need to train all these people and uh, in human trafficking or widgets, right? Not right. minimizing your thing, just going back to my example. And we need them trained by July 1st of 2022. Right. Then comes in a manpower issue and then comes in a money issue, I believe. But would you say that, what, what do you think is holding them back from training, I guess, is my question. I'm speaking to several supervisors in different departments, it seems to be more geared towards the manpower. You know, there's a lot of crime happening right now. There's an increase in crime and 
they just don't have the manpower. People are retiring at, you know, unbelievable rates. So taking an officer off of the street to train them, even for one day, is a lot. You're taking them away from their fellow officers and their supervisors who need the help right now. So it's difficult for me to set training up with these police departments because of the manpower. I have not really heard anything about the money issue, the monetary issue, because we are a nonprofit organization. The training that we did do at the Chicago Police Academy did not cost anything, but it cost them the time that their officers spent in that training seminar. Okay. So manpower seems to be the issue. Um, another question I had, you again, you brought up some interesting points, increasing crime. You know, anybody who watches the mainstream media knows that there's an increase in crime. You know, there's different ideologies out there. I'm not, I, I don't talk about politics, so I'm not going to get into politics and semantics and who's arresting who and who's not and why they're not doing that. That's just not what the show is about. It's to highlight right. our first, our, our heroes. So, but manpower is an issue. And I've had other guests talk about, you know, off mic saying, and on mic talking about like a couple of weeks ago, I had a detective from financial crimes from Chicago say there was like 60,000 cases for 12 detectives. I'm like, what? Yes. Yes. <laughs> so, so the manpower issues there, and you, you'd mentioned people are retiring at Epic numbers and, you know, in full disclosure, teaching at the college, both of us, we have police officers that are going to college saying, Hey, I've got like three or four more years left. I want to educate myself. I want to get out of here as soon as I possibly can, because I don't, I don't feel safe. Correct. Right. I don't feel safe in my job. I don't feel supported. Again, it's not about politics. It's about factual information. People are telling us this. Right. So manpower is an issue, but this, this is such an important topic. I mean, how, do you, can you make any suggestions on what a department could do possibly? Is there online resources? Is there anything they can do to help train themselves? Like I explaining again, some self-disclosure, right? Uh, when I couldn't get a training on the police department or, you know, even in the faculty world as a, as a college educator, now I would pay for myself to go through the training that, cause I thought it was right. very important. It's imperative right. to have this training to survive or to be proficient at something. And the department doesn't, frankly, have the money to do right. it. So you put yourself through, is there any resources out there that may be an interested officer or, you know, just a, a regular person, a citizen that is out there listening to our radio show today uh, that, that celebrates our, our heroes could go to and maybe get a little more education? Yes, absolutely. There are many resources. The Department of Justice uh, holds trainings all the time. I know that right now things are a little difficult uh, for situations like that, but there's also the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, who we work very closely with, and they have a lot of resources, especially for law enforcement. You have Polaris, who is one of the biggest agencies when it comes to trafficking and they have resources. When I started on this journey, I literally just jumped on the computer and Googled and Googled and Googled trying to find these trainings. I ended up luckily finding a training through the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. 
it was in Reno, but I traveled there for that training and I benefited from it because it was actually the director from the National Center that was giving the training. So he guided me on where to look for more trainings. And again, 13 years of my life and my personal time and money, I traveled just to get the training I needed to help these children and to help these families that are not given up hope and waiting for the safe return of their children. That's incredible. It really is. That information is vital. And I, and I love that there's training opportunities out there because many times when you don't have any resources or you don't have the money or you don't have the time to do this, sometimes if there's an online resource out there that you could take, you know, I remember doing the incident command stuff, you know, from FEMA back in, you know, the mid 2000s, you know, 2005, 2006, uh, right. a lot of them were online and it was unheard of and you got certified as in, you know, some incident command classes. So it's good to know that there are some resources out there that people can go to just a little bit of knowledge helps. Wouldn't you agree? I completely agree. And the internet is a very valuable tool for situations like training and gathering data but the internet has also complicated things when it comes to children being exploited. And that is a big problem. You know, it's a, it's a valuable tool for us, but it's an even more valuable tool for those sexual predators who are just waiting to find that child on social media platforms and any type of chat, chat rooms. So these traffickers actually get together they gather within the dark web and they plan and they help each other. And they're one step ahead of us in how they are luring these children and abducting them and then transitioning them into a life of trafficking. How does a parent insulate their child or keep them safe from something like that? I mean, you said a lot there about the dark web luring children in, they work together. So it sounds like it's, it's a vast thing, if I yes. hear you correctly. How does a parent ensure that their child, keep their child safe, their, their, you know, their young child or their teenage child, how do they insulate them from that? Any advice on that? Yes. I mean, it, it takes a parent constantly monitoring everything that their child does and talking to them. You know, you start talking to your children at a young age. You have to remember that stranger danger is no longer a concept that we talk about because many children are abducted by somebody they know and they are exploited by somebody they know. So it's up to the parent to stay vigilant. If your child appears to be uncomfortable in front of a particular adult, you know, take that into effect, talk to your child about it. There are so many resources for parents on how to talk to their child at different stages in their life and how to monitor not only the internet, but their smartphones. What are some of those resources? Some of those resources are a center like ours where we raise awareness and we teach these, these parents you know, how to try to prevent abduction or exploitation. You have the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children with a website that has endless resources for parents. 
we go out to schools, we go out to community meetings and talk to these parents and teach them how to approach their child and teach them how to identify a situation that is inappropriate. Okay. So your center could possibly have some training for people to provide to not only law enforcement agencies, but also the regular person who wants to keep their child safe. Yes, absolutely. That is what we try to do. We try to raise awareness in many different ways. We do talk to communities. We do a lot of outreach uh, programs. We you know, post posters of missing children in business districts just to make people aware that there are these missing children and we can only hope that they are recognized at some point, whether they're from California and the posters are posted in Illinois, it doesn't matter. We just want to put them out there because if it was my child that was missing, I would want their face plastered everywhere. And that's what our center tries to do in addition to talking to adults. You know, I have adults that approach me at some of my events and they ask me about the cell phones and I talk to them about the hidden apps on the cell phones. There's many. If you are to go into the app store on a phone, you will find that there are numerous, numerous apps that allow you to hide photographs and to have conversations with individuals that may be 20, 30, 40 years older than a child. And these children are using these platforms, which is a dangerous situation. Monica, what are some of those apps and platforms you speak of that children may use that a parent might not even know is there? And how could a parent find that? A parent has to literally look through their, their child's phone and search these apps. You have the calculator app. That app, you have the calculator on your cell phone, but there's also another app that looks exactly like the calculator that you have on your cell phone. And this is used to hide either conversations, you can hide photographs in there. You have Kix, which is another platform. Now you have TikTok. You have all these different social media platforms that the kids are using. And sometimes the parent has no clue. So it's up to the parent to check their child's phone. It's up to the parents to check the history on their child's computer. But you have to remember that children are not always at home with their computer. They are at other people's homes and they're using those computers and they are allowed to use their cell phone in any which way. You know, we have parents that want to keep their child occupied during dinner, lunch, and they hand their child a cell phone or an iPad, which I'm guilty of with my children. But the problem is that a lot of them don't know that these children are have access to all of this. And although you think they're too young to know what they're doing, they know what they're doing. I, 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 I'm smiling, right? Because what what our listeners, our listeners, just so our listeners know the way, the way we do this, we pre-record our, our sessions together and we do it through zoom and we can see each other, but you get the audio product. Right. And uh, I'm smiling because I, I work with Monica every day. Right. And uh, at the college and Monica is very passionate about things. And I can see her getting revved up 
right? When she's talking about this is particularly about the parenting part. And I, I find this amusing because having adult children, yes. you have adult children, you yes, have grandchildren, right? Yes. And you, when I see people and their parenting skills, like I call it the electronic babysitter here, just take the tablet here, just take right. the TV, <laughs> right? Uh, screen time, you know, should be limited. There's studies on that, right? Affecting the brain, right. of the developing brain of a child. However, <laughs> I find it amusing how, you know, I've had parents, you know, that are close to me, friends, you know, yes. uh, relatives, and I'll, I'll question them about like, why are you letting little Susie on, on that device here? Well, you know, I, I just have a hard time saying no. I'm like, I look at them and I, and I give them Grazia Maguire, my mom, my mom always <laughs> used to say this, right? Always for our listeners here, mom, I know you're listening. So I'm saying this for you. She would say, Little kids, little problems, big kids, big problems. But yes. it sounds like with these apps, little kids have big problems. Yes. Right? Yes, absolutely. And, and, and that's not even including gaming. These young children are gaming. They are talking to strangers that they don't know. They're giving them their personal information. Unbelievable. Yes. I had, and I'm going to give you this example. My eight-year-old grandson was gaming my son was lying on the couch he closed his eyes for a minute and my grandson had a basketball game to go to at his school and my son is listening and he hears him giving this complete stranger information about his jersey number about the school he goes to and my son jumped up from the couch and stopped him and this is a grandson who I've taken to almost every event Mm -hmm. But they are too young to understand they want to game. So in that case, it's up to the parent to monitor their gaming, to see who they're playing with. Excellent. I have to break for station identification, Monica. This is great. And when I come back from that, we're going to talk more. This is WVLP, Valparaiso Community Radio, 103.1 FM. You can find us at WVLP.org and look at our programming and you're listening to everyday warriors hosted by Danny McGuire. And our guest today is Monica Lopez. So Monica, you're giving these examples of these hidden apps and stuff, and you're making me nervous. You know, I mean, my kids are grown, but still it's, it's definitely a fair, you know, that people have these abilities. And then to listen, your own grandson, who's been to all of your, all of your classes, taken them and yes. you've done this. It's, it's really incredible. I, I want to ask you this. Let's say I'm the village manager of, I don't know, any town USA. Okay. Does your center have any resources for me? Like you're talking about outreach, like what type of outreach could I, could I expect from, um, from your center as, as a village manager? I want to do something to heighten awareness in my community of missing exploited children. Tell me what that outreach looks like. Okay. So we have what we call photo facts, child ID kits. And what we do with this is we go to public schools, we go to anywhere we're invited and we fingerprint these kids. And the template was actually handed over to us from the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. It is actually the the first template that they used. And when they saw what I was doing here in the Midwest, they actually sent it over to me. So that is what we use. The reason ours is different from other fingerprinting um, from other fingerprinting is that a lot of the organizations that do fingerprinting 
enter all the information into a database, which for us doesn't sit well only because not that they're doing anything wrong, but right now we have a huge, huge, um, not issue, but we have a lot going on with immigrants and they don't want their information in databases. So what we do is we give them our child ID kit and we take all their information down and there is a space there where they can put a picture, they can put a lock of hair and they can take these to their dentist so that they can record their dental records. And the benefit of us doing this and giving them those ID kits is that if their child goes missing, God forbid, you have the officers go to the house and you can hand them this ID kit and they immediately have the Here, exactly. You know, their children are just as important as, as our children or anybody who's here legally, for sure. Um, they can have this kit on hand, and if something ha their child goes missing, they they can give it to the police. That that is really, I mean, that's a great resource. So, what does what does something like that cost the village for you to come and do? Absolutely nothing. We are a nonprofit organization, and we work uh, with donations is what we do, but we do not charge for this service. And if you think about it, the urgency involves when your child goes missing. Now, here in Illinois, we have expressways all over the place. Within a half hour, your child could be out of the state. They could be in Indiana. They can be in Wisconsin. So time is valuable. We need to have this information out on the police radio so that everybody knows the description of this child and they can start searching for the child immediately. It's time is important. Timing is of the essence, right? Yes. I mean, they have all these shows like 48 and yes. you know, 24 and all these things where it shows the first 48 hours of investigation, how important it is. So when children or people go missing, what I hear you say is it's imperative. Oh yes. That you yes. get it get it going immediately. Absolutely. And, and the service is free. So for our listeners who are village managers or police chiefs or some sort of executives uh, in, in, in villages, you know, Monica center, which we'll add later on in the, at the end of, of our show, Monica will provide her contact information. I urge you to contact her and, and have her come out and do one of these days to get these kits for your, for your citizenry. I mean, it's important. Um, children are our future and we have to make sure they're safe and secure. Yes. So Monica, I, I want to segue to something real quick. Um, you're, you're an educator now full-time like me Yes. at Calumet College and you uh, teach in our accelerated public safety management and public safety administration programs, which are largely first responders, public safety professionals going back to school to get degrees in accelerated formats. Um, so you teach in those programs, but you also teach in the traditional criminal justice program, which is your traditional college student uh, that's, you know, in the age range of yes. late teens to mid twenties. Um, yes. You incorporate in both programs. Tell me if you incorporate your information from your center and in the classes that you incorporate them, traditional and PSM, PSA, um, as well as tell me how, how you do it. 
So we have in our PSA programs, our PSM program, public safety programs, we have, for the most part, law enforcement. So I talked to the officer. 95, 90, 95 to 99% law enforcement. Yes. And we talk about trafficking. We talk about missing children. And I do tell them about my center. And I ask them about their knowledge. And I give them more information so that they have those tools when they go back to their districts or precincts, whatever it is they go back to. And they have those tools with them so that if they do run into a victim who has been trafficked or someone who has been missing, they can identify those victims. I also talk to the criminal justice students about missing children, about um, our finger, fingerprinting events, about the events I have for the center. So they too can take that information and pass it along to their family members because it's very important that they, the younger generation knows as much as the older generation because they will soon have children of their own. I am currently working on a course that focuses on missing children and exploitation, which I would like to teach at the college so that more people can be educated about this growing pandemic that we have. You rarely see posters of missing children. Walmart is great when it comes to that. They always have posters in their store, but we need to get these faces out there. We need to teach people where to look. We have hotels that we train on trafficking, what to look for, the signs to look for, medical staff. When these victims walk into the emergency room, it's very likely that their trafficker is with them. So we teach them how to get the victim away from the trafficker so that they can speak to the victim in private because a lot of medical facilities have been trained, but a lot, a lot have not. Well, also too, training is a diminishing skill, right? Our brains all work yes. differently. And as when, when we reach a certain age, our brain is considered fully developed. Now there's debate what that age is according to, you know, your physiological you know, birth, gender, whatever you want to call it. I mean, those things all come into play. So I'm not sure, you know, there's specific science and I could be wrong, but I think it goes person to person. But once you reach a certain age and your brain is fully developed, well, that means you're plateaued, right? So when you start yes. going backwards, yes, you know, uh, you have issues with remembering things and it's diminishing skill. That's yes. everything is diminishing skill, the education that you receive. So it's good. Some, I'm sure for some of the law enforcement professionals in our program, um, public safety professionals, it's probably a refresher and will help them. But the new students, I think it's incredible that you're incorporating this stuff into their, um, into their curriculum, because when they do become a professional, I mean, I, you know, I didn't know that most right. of the time their trafficker is with them in the hospital. If there's something wrong, it makes sense. Right. So you want to separate them from the trafficker so they could tell the truth because they're probably not going to tell the truth in front of the trafficker. Right. Because right. of the fear they've been threatened, their lives have been threatened, their family's lives have been threatened. So they are afraid and they're not going to speak in front of the trafficker because they've already been coached on what to say and what not to say. So it's up to the medical professional to see the signs of trafficking, of them being a victim just as it is law enforcement and just as it is educators like ourselves. 
And the nice thing about me incorporating this into my traditional criminal justice program and the public safety program is that I have had multiple students wanting to work with my centers, which is amazing for me because it's only going to help those victims and those families who have been impacted by this horrible crime and the families need help as much as these victims do. Absolutely. It makes sense. Now I know in the past you've had students from the traditional criminal justice program and some of our PSMPSA students volunteer for some of these community days you have where you do the fingerprint boxes and the, you know, yes. the, the identification boxes. Tell me, tell me how, how that works and what that looks like. It is, it, it's wonderful. I mean, we go, we t I take the students who want to go and, and participate. And I've had now four interns as well who have helped with events and are still helping with the center. And we go out to whatever location we're given. What I do is I network with other organizations. So the last event that we participated in, we set up our table, we have our fingerprinting kits, we have all our literature on the table and we answer any questions that they have. And we also talk to the law enforcement officers that are there and we talk to them and this is how we network because those officers then invite me to speak at their community meetings, which is great but we're giving them information that are going to help them. We are giving them information on child exploitation, which trafficking is a part of. We're giving them information on how to keep your children safe when it comes to being an athlete, how to go to and from home, who to talk to. We have to remember that that stranger danger is no longer just sitting on a park bench in a park somewhere. That's, that stranger is in your home on devices that you bought for your children. So it is our responsibility to monitor those things and to make sure that they're used in the proper way. Incredible information, Monica. Thank you for sharing all this. Um, as we continue forward, I, I just have to say that I, I remember watching, I think it was like a, some sort of crime show, uh, you know, like a real life documentary type right. thing. And one of the cameras in the house or like a baby monitor started talking to the people, yes. like the people. Yes. Th that I mean, as soon as that happened, you know, like you got the doggy bark camera. So when you're at work, you can see the dog oh, yeah. shoots treats. It's like, uh-uh, no more. Right. You know, I, I don't want some dude checking, checking me out when I'm walking around the house. You know what I mean? Like, right. or what right. I, what I got, what I got in the crib, it's just not going to happen. So I, I'm, I'm curious as to what advice you could give from your standpoint um, and what you've learned to our listeners on things to avoid when it comes to in, you know, in-home technology and things of that nature. Is there anything you have that you could share with us? You know, there's so many things going around right now, going on right now with technology. You do, I, I do know what you're speaking of when it comes to the baby monitor and People don't think about how to protect their children in their own home with the technology that we have nowadays. You know, it, it's, it's coming to the point where at times as valuable as it is, we are finding a lot of problems with technology because again, these strangers are able to enter your home. So you have to do some research on the devices that you have and make sure that those devices are also protected so that you can protect your family. And speaking of, of infants here, 
you know, we have, you never know. There, there, there's so many stereotypes for people who exploit your children. And it could be, like I said, a religious leader, an educator, a doctor, a nurse. As a matter of fact, when I do my training, I show a video of a nurse who is literally videotaping infants in a nursery at the hospital. So we do talk about that. We talk about infant abductions from hospitals and from homes and what to do and what not to do. As far as putting signs up, it's a boy. You are advertising that there is a new infant in your home to people that you don't know. And there's been instances where these people are knocking on doors, you know, saying they're salespeople or they have something to do with child agencies and they're abducting these children right from the mother's arms. Unreal. Unreal. Yes. You never think Things of that. You don't think about. You you never think of that, you know, like you put a sign on the front lawn, you know, welcome Danny, you know, eight yes. pounds, six ounces, you know, and there's some lurker out there looking at it going, I, I might have me a eight pound, six ounce baby to take. Yes. Like, I, I mean, the thought of that is just infuriating to me. I don't, I'm sure some of our listeners are, are frightened and will never put a lawn sign out again, but <laughs> re regardless, I mean, that it's, it's just, to me, is it's it's infuriating. It's the only yes. word I can come up with right yes. now. Yes, it's scary. But the problem is that people aren't aware of everything that's going on. And that's where we come in. We want to raise awareness on everything from child safety, you know, for athletes and from technology devices that have to be protected, hospitals, how you have to make sure that your child, when it, when your child is born, that you know exactly where they're taking that child. If they are taking that child to get an ultrasound, you need to know where that child is going because anything can happen in a split second. And yes, there's a lot of security in hospitals, but again, these predators are one step ahead of us. So it is up to us to protect our children during every stage of their lives. You know, my daughter was already in college and she had a smartphone. She went away for spring break and I had the find my phone app on my phone and I tracked her all the way. Did she call me a creep? <laughs> Absolutely. I knew when she was at the swimming pool and she said, she said I was a creep for it. But you know what, Danny, I knew where my child was, my grown child. Absolutely. I, I, I Again, it goes back to some parenting issues. You know, this is just my opinion, you know, as a father with three grown children, I, I look at my parenting style. It might be in stark contrast than other people I know. And some people right. would think I was extra, you know, as right. they say, a little bit over extreme, the over the top um, with the discipline stuff, you know, but I always knew where my kids were. I always knew what they were doing. I always knew who they were talking to. and because of a high, when, when you're a law enforcement professional in a place like Chicago, Cook County, the surrounding areas, Northwest Indiana, and not to discredit any other places, right? You, you, you get, you're on blast right away. It's you're, you're getting the open fire hydrant immediately. You're drinking from the fire hydrant. You're right. just blown away. So it's largely negative, right? It's largely negative. You're always thinking of the worst possible case scenario. It's called catastrophizing. 
so given the things that we've seen and how people can do rotten, evil things to each other, we tend to be a little bit more sensitive, hypersensitive to that, at least in my opinion. Would you agree? Right. Is, is yes. that your experience? I think most police officers would probably agree with that. So when it comes to our children, it's like, uh-uh, it's not happening to my kid. Correct. Right? You're, you're not, you're not going to get one over on my kid. Right. Right. So people get, people get crazy when it comes to that. And, and the people who don't, and then they wonder why their child has made some catastrophic mistakes or something happens, you know, it's horrible to see the parent break down and, and, and be emotional and be worried. And then the what ifs probably drive them crazy. You know, like, well, if I would have check their phone for apps, or I would have done this, this would have never happened. And you really can't do that either. Right. Right. So I guess what I'm trying to say is that there has to be some sort of training for the parents too. do you, do you provide something like that? Not just, you know, like not just to law enforcement or anyone like that. I know we talked a little bit about it and people could go and find it, but like, what would you tell a parent today? Are Give me your top three, Monica's top three important things to tell a parent today to keep your child safe. To keep your child safe, you have to monitor them when it comes to technology. And I know that we can't be there 24 hours a day, but it's so important. Again, the gaming uh, situation is very critical. Everybody wants a game. Before we adults learn how to use technology, our children already know and they're teaching us. So I don't blame the parents because they don't know what to look for because they haven't been taught to look for these specific things. So I would say monitor whatever devices they're using, their tablets, their computers, their cell phones, their gaming setups, monitor everything. Make sure that you are monitoring which adults your child is spending time with and how much time they're spending with that adult. If an adult is giving your child gifts or wanting to take them on certain trips, it's not right. It's not appropriate for an adult to give a child gifts. It's not appropriate for an adult to be sharing secrets with the child. Like what kind of, like what kind of gifts? I'm talking credit cards, cell phones, any kind of gifts. And the big problem comes in when they're grooming the child online because they groom them and they build a trust. And with that trust, they are able to get the child to give them their address. So they are sending gifts to their home. So now they know where these kids live. They're not only speaking to them on a social media platform, they are sending them gifts to their home. And at that point, they are able to go there and abduct the child because the child, a lot of times tells them exactly what's going on. If the feels comfortable, they've, they've, they've broke down the boundaries and the, the comfort is established. So now they trust. Yes, right? yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And even when your kids are adults, you know, the the third thing I would monitor where they're going, always know where your child's going. Always. It's, it's not so much. And a child will get frustrated when you're asking them, what what time are you going? Who are you going to be with? When are you coming back? Everything that us as parents have done, but it's so important to continue. Well, I think, I think, I think it heightens with our former career, right? I think that because we've seen, you know, like I always told my children nothing good happens after midnight 
the, nothing that you're going to do after midnight is going to be good. I mean, it's just, it's, it's just right. not, I, I would say that, you know, I'd say that if you, if you're out after midnight, your odds of something bad happen go up by like 75%. Now I, of course I made up that statistic and I'm hoping it scared the poop out of them, but you know, I mean, you, you just never know. Right. right. Um, so I, I would always say that. So Monica, let me ask you this. When some, when a child is you know, abducted or missing and then, you know, by the grace of God or, or whatever is they, they find this child and maybe they're abducted. You, you'll hear stories of a, a woman that was chained in a basement for years that, yes. you know, was sexually assaulted and stuff. What type of resources have to go into helping that person now assimilate back to normal life? Right. I mean, we're talking about a lot, a lot of psychological help here. Those children have been through things that they may not even talk to us about because they're embarrassed, they're ashamed, or they're still holding on to that fear that the trafficker will come after them. So they need, they were probably malnourished. They were probably, they probably didn't go to the doctor or the dentist. They need those type of resources in order for them, first of all, to get back to a healthy lifestyle and to be able to cope with real life situations because they've been gone for such a long period of time. But even if it's a short period of time, their life has just completely been shattered because they're being victimized. When they're abducted, there's a good chance that they are being sexually abused, which is very traumatizing for a child. You're taking their innocence away and there's no way to get that back. So we have to teach them how to cope with it. You said something important, trauma. And trauma is, uh, it's, it's huge. Um, in the first responder community, you know, seeing trauma yes. for primary, secondary trauma. And then someone going through this, it's a huge traumatic event. I mean, they will need I mean, years and years of probably psychological treatment, yes. counseling, yes. you know, medical treatment psychiatric med you know i mean they're gonna need psychotropic medications probably yes and it's it's probably a monumental task i would imagine yes ha have you ever heard of any kind of stories in, in your in your professional um center's life here have you ever heard of any kind of stories where they have found somebody and then successfully they assimilated back into you know just regular culture their family things like that that has been missing for an extended period of time that has been missing for extended period of time. I have spoken to women. There are shelters where these women are housed, these victims are housed. And some of them had been involved in a life of trafficking for years. And the anger that's there is just understandable, but they're also grateful. They're grateful that they're being provided with shelter and they're being sent to school. They're getting their education. They're getting back on track. But a lot of them don't like to talk about everything that happened out there. You know, I've done a lot of research on trafficking and I've read some stories about what they've done. You know, they're, they're going through branding. They're going through abuse, physical and sexual abuse. They're being drugged while they're being trafficked. And I hate to say it, Danny, but some of the trafficking is done by their own family. Hmm. Wow. So it's not always a stranger that's doing the trafficking. Sounds like PTSD, a lot of yes. PTSD. Yes. I mean, that's wow. And then your own family, how, how do you trust yeah. after that? I yes. Mean, I, 
I mean, it, it's, it's unreal. I had a 13 year old um, in Chicago when I was in the police department and she was being trafficked. She ran away from home because her parents divorced and she ran away from home because she wanted to live with her father. And turns out she just ran into the wrong person and she was being trafficked out of an abandoned church. And thank God that I was able to find her and take her back home. This is back when we really didn't know anything about resources and what is available for those victims. So it took some research to find resources for her. Yes, she was traumatized. She was traumatized and she was still very afraid. And I even went to court with her, but again, Trafficking wasn't something that was, I, I, I don't want to say a priority, but it's pretty much, it was not a priority. And training on trafficking back then was not a priority because people don't understand that trafficking has been going on for centuries, for years and years. Wow. That's incredible. I, Monica, I would challenge you. We only have a few minutes left. So I would challenge you to write a book. I would challenge you to take these experiences and put together some sort of book as a guide for keeping your children safe for parents. I, I would challenge you to write a book on these experiences and put the information out there and make people more aware of this. Yes. Uh, Monica, in the last, in the last couple of minutes, uh, as we close, I wanted to ask if someone wanted to get a hold of you uh, to ask you for some resources or possibly come out and do one of these events that you do or a training, how would they get a hold of you? What's the best way to get a hold of you? So they can reach me on our 800 number. And that number is 844-MY-KIDS. And that would be 844-669-5437. And I just want to add one final thing here is that we also do training uh, for businesses. We train them on how to use Code Adam which means if a child gets abducted from the store or restaurant, wherever, we train them on what exactly to do, how to react to that situation to give that child more of a chance of being found. Monica, good stuff. And I appreciate you. I appreciate you as a, as a colleague and a coworker at the college. I appreciate the things you do for missing exploited children. Um, I've appreciate the challenges that you've been through in your own personal life. Um, and the recovery that you've made. Uh, you're just an incredible warrior. You are, you're Thank an everyday you. hero. And I know you don't look at yourself that way, no. like most of the guests I talk to, but you really are. You really are. You're a role model for, for people um, to better themselves and become experts in certain fields. And you have an incredible story, uh, which we only touched a little bit on. Right. And I, I, I would like to have you back on someday. Uh, to talk Absolutely. more about this maybe, and uh, maybe talk about some other challenges that you faced in, in sure. your life that you've overcome. Because I, I always, I always say at the college that Monica is my hero. Monica <laughs> is, is an everyday warrior. She's one of those people that we highlight at, uh, on, on this program. So Monica, thank you for coming. I appreciate it. Thank you, Danny, for having me. And I really hope that the calls start coming in because I'm here to help. Excellent. Excellent. All right, folks, that wraps up another episode of Everyday Warriors. My name is Danny McGuire, your host, and you're listening to us on WVLP.
103.1 FM, Valparaiso Community Radio. Our guest was Monica Lopez, and we talked about um, her career as an instructor at, at Calumet College, her life as a police officer in Chicago, and more importantly, her position as executive director and um, founder of the Missing and Exploited Children's Centers that she runs all over the place <laughs> and continues to grow. So if you have any uh, questions or you need to get a hold of Monica or you need some training, give her a shout. She's got the 1-800 number out there. And you listen to Everyday Warriors. Thank you. And uh, stay tuned for next week's episode. Bye.